what's up y'all it's zach we live in corporate and okay so look we know miss rona is out here not to minimize or de-emphasize the stark reality and grievous nature of this global pandemic but we want to make sure that we're um we're keeping our spirits and uh attitudes high um and so we know that it's wild out here we know that folks are whole lives are changing we're adjusting to different types of normal um re-identifying what normal means and you know you can rest assured that in the midst of all of this stuff going on the living corporate is going to be here you know what i mean so you know it's interesting i've had people you know send me messages and be like you know this diversity inclusion stuff like you shouldn't expect that your podcast, this platform, y'all's blog, the learning platform y'all are trying to build and whatever for that to really take precedent when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And what I've constantly had to remind people is that, look, folks on the margins will always be on the margins. Folks were on the margins before this pandemic and they're on the margins now. And so like living corporate and the work that we're doing and the work that all equity, community, culture, belonging professionals are doing is all the more important now. And so it's with that that I'm really excited about the guest that we have today. I'm not even going to read this long old bio. I'm going to just get into it. We have Goddess Rivera Goddess. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. What's up? Thanks for having me. What's up? What's up? How are you and your loved ones doing during this time? You know, we are so blessed. Um, I am in New York, in New York City, um, and my immediate family, my husband, my daughter, my mom and aunt, who kind of we all live in Westchester County. We're okay. Everyone's been healthy. I've got grandparents between Atlanta and South Carolina, and, you know, thank God they have been adhering to staying at home. I had to do a little nudging in the beginning, but, yes. you know, the old folks was trying to get to the buffet. We, we got to have a conversation about, <laughs> we got to have a conversation about that, right? And, you know, what I, <laughs> it's interesting because I've talked to other black folks, right, who have these parents who have lived through all types of stuff. So mm-hmm. they're not really concerned about some invisible illness, right? Like, you know what I mean? They just take some castor oil and they'll be fine, you know. <laughs> some tussin. <laughs> some tussin. <laughs> they, sure. they, they've seen much worse. But you're right, though. It's a blessing to have mm-hmm. uh, family members who, who will listen. I know I, my dad, you know, my dad. He and I are very similar. So I told him, and my dad is 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I told I was, I was like, hey, dad, you know, y'all staying inside. Oh, so he's also, no, 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 no. You ain't got to worry about me. I'm right in the house. I said, oh, okay, good. <laughs> it's so crazy. My mom's the same exact age as your dad. And like, she was, she was good. She was like, I've been in the house. Like my mom works remote anyway, you know, right, normally. Right, right. And so it was the grandparents. I was kind of like, come on now, y'all. But I, they the got it early and they're okay. Yeah, it's definitely the grandparents. I have a lot of questions for you, but first I got to get into your name. Can we talk about <laughs> goddess? Yes, I can. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a simple story. Um, I know it's, it's a different name, but um, the story is kind of simple. So my mom, um, she was a teenage mom, you know, just trying to figure it out from the Bronx, New York, shout out BX. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You're. Um, <laughs> and you know, she was trying to figure it out at the time. And she had this dream when she was about seven months pregnant, she told me, and it was just her great grandmother who was speaking to her and kind of was like, you have to name this child. God is. And so 
actually in the dream, I think she said it was God is love. Um, and she was like, I don't know, this is so different. You know, my mom's name is Melissa. So, um, and, and she just felt like it was such a strong feeling that she just, she was like, I have to follow this. So she, she went ahead and did it. And it's so interesting that, you know, having this name for, you know, over 30 years, I could never imagine my name being anything else. I never was ridiculed for it. I, you know, a lot of conversations and great conversation starters, but it is, I've always felt so comfortable in it. And I think for me, it, it really reminds me every day to just continue to step into my power and, and the amazing kind of gift that I was given just through my namesake. So uh, it's not, not kind of a crazy story, but you know, an interesting one, I guess. No, no, it's not, it's, it's not crazy at all, but it's, it's, it is very interesting because I saw it and you know, it's, it's also really, so I'm from the South, right? So like my family is like very churched. So I was talking to my mom about <laughs> talking to my talking to my mom about this interview that I was gonna be doing. I said, Look, I said, you know, I finally got like this like this global leader. She's has she has this incredible, like this huge profile and um I'm just really excited to interview her. And they were like, What's her name? I said, Her name is Goddess. She said, God God goddess. I said, No, no, no. Not goddess. Like no, right. God is. And God like, is. She said, God is. And so, you know, she, and so I'm like, I'm like, mom, just hold on. Just, and so it just, it's funny. Uh, cause I was like, I got to make sure I ask for the culture. I need to know. Um, right. Okay. So let's talk about your journey getting to Twitter. Like how did your passion for journalism and storytelling lead you here? Mm, okay. So that's a great question. Um, it's really interesting to me when I think about, you know, being at Twitter now, my whole career was shaped by social media. Um, and, you know, when I was trying to figure out, you know, young goddess back in, you know, high school or, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do in my life, this didn't exist. You know, I think it's my space, it kind of sort of started when I got to school. And it was just one of those things that I knew that I wanted to be a journalist. I love writing. I love editorial writing. And but what I wanted to do more than just, you know, kind of general journalism is I knew I wanted to work in black media. Um, I wanted to work as a writer or an, ele- or an editor. I wanted to really make sure that I was elevating the stories and spreading awareness for people that I felt, you know, had been silenced, which was my community, the black community, and then others. Um, so I think just through that kind of passion, I, I went into journalism. I also um, am part of that, uh, those millennials who's like, shout out to the second economic recession we're coming yes. from <laughs> because it was like yo i thought we had one in a lifetime but oh we doing mm. two okay um so you know getting out of school for me it was right around that time and it was just like yo i'm just trying to make my mom proud and not be unemployed right. and i kind of found my way into marketing um even though i wanted to do journalism i continued to moonlight and try and really make that happen i started to really become into marketing and it was just like let me just get a job um But in doing that, I think, you know, I realized that marketing also tells those stories and there's a chance to represent people and and really elevate uh, people who aren't always seen. And and that's kind of what led me on that journey. And I will also say, you know, mid 2000s, 2006, 2007, when I started my career, um, it was always like when it comes to social media, it was like, who's the 23 year old in the office? Like, I don't know about that Facebook. You know what I mean? I don't know about that Twitter. I don't know about that. Um, You know, just tell her to do it. And that kind of 
attitude that, of course, over time became much more uh, brands and companies began to take it much more seriously. But that was kind of how I got my start. You know, I was a writer who could craft posts or ideas for these uh, platforms. And I also knew how to actually post them, not like many of the other people in the office who are a little older than me. So that was kind of how I started my journey. So it was a little bit, I think, a little bit of serendipity, but also still me chasing this kind of passion to to tell the stories and represent for people who were not um, always able to do that. You know, I, I really want to understand, like, you know, your experience in social strategy, because you're right. Like, there was a time when it was like, you know, we'd look at Facebook or we'd look at Twitter and we'd be like, we'd scoff at that. Like, I remember I had an internship where I created essentially like like a social media, like an ambassador program for this um, recruiting recruitment company. And everyone had a social media profile and you were supposed to essentially like build your brand on social media, which right. would then drive, you know, business to the startup or whatever. Right. Like you're basically but you're essentially building presence on Twitter. And this was like in 2000 and like 10 and i remember yeah, people, people early like, days <laughs> yeah so people, people were like what is this like i remember even like they were like oh this is cute but this doesn't mean anything right and, and so like i'm curious as to like what did it look like to take your experience in the social strategy work um and like help it inform what you do for twitter today like can we talk a little bit about that Yes, you know, I actually am so grateful to the years that I spent really learning content strategy, learning social strategy. Um, And I think it goes back to kind of that point about knowing that I wanted to kind of help elevate stories. And so what happened is that I really started to understand that there was a lot of power. You know how you think about in the court system, it's like the prosecutor has all the power, right? Yeah, yeah. And advertising creators have a lot of that power, but the the story is sold um, and the plan comes from strategy. And I really took a liking to that. I, I realized that, you know, for me, what thrills me about strategy was that I have a chance to really kind of help build that story. I have a chance to figure out who is the people that we want to see that story. Where does it show up? How does it show up? And who is in that? So I think for me, like I really started to understand that there was a power in that. And then at the same time, other brands realized that there is a return in this medium that was kind of a throwaway, right? There's something coming from when we post and then people around the world are talking about this instantly. And I think it was the kind of two things happening at once. You had also more access to, you know, phones and technology that could help people kind of see things in an instant and, you know, thinking about campaigns that you were going to run through display or print long ago and then posting something in 90 seconds, you have, you know, celebrities and the public, answering you about your product, you know, that's something that's just invaluable. So I think that's kind of what really started to help me understand that um, even more. And so I really became a planner and I got to do it for, you know, both large and small brands. But what I think really kind of intrigued me the most is that what I realized about strategy is that there's always a target, right? Um, who do you want to see this message? Who who do we want to respond to this? And and also who is in this message? How how does it look? How does it show up? What experience is it detailing? And I think that that as I worked more in advertising, that that was very homogenous. You know, it was kind of the same target, the same people over and over again. And so even me working in those those positions, my own experience was left out. So I started to be really really interested in how are we going to stop making this mistake? How can we stop ignoring communities that are actually shifting the culture, but we're not even including them who we're speaking to, nor their experience and what we're putting out into the world. So I knew that through strategic direction that I could try and maybe 
shed a light on that. And that's really what kind of where I focus. So just in thinking through audiences that matter, audiences that have been left out, as a true strategist, I need that full story. I can't actually do my job well only looking at one small piece of an audience or or a compelling story. And so I use kind of just that literal uh, sense taking the emotion out because I'm a black woman who wanted to see that experience and sure. I wanted to see other people's experiences as sure. well. But you can't you can't deny that you need a holistic kind of view to do your job well if you're speaking to the world and you're saying that's what you're doing. So that kind of interest in better understanding communities and what matters to them and how they want to be seen is kind of how I started along this path of informing the work that I do today, which is really working to connect with marginalized communities and make sure that they're amplified. So, you know, that leads me really well into the, the next question. So I, I want to talk a bit about position and power, right? You sit in a global role on one of the biggest brands on the planet. Um, Ooh, you're making me sound cool. I like it. I mean, <laughs> your name is Goddess. Uh, so <laughs> how do you manage the responsibility that you have as a leader? Um, mm-hmm. Like, Because I would imagine you have internal pressures to like, like you said, there are things mm-hmm. that you want to see realized. And there are things right. that you want to achieve. There's a legacy and, and part of a, a longer term roadway that you're, you're you're riding on. But then there's also external pressures, I would imagine, because of the intersectionality of your own identity. Right. Like you think about who you represent and what people maybe project onto you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, what does it look like to manage both sets of pressures while being one of the few in these spaces? Wow. I really appreciate that question. It often doesn't come in that way that acknowledges some of those internal and external pressures. But I think what I love the most about that question is that I I just appreciate you using the word power. I think power is extremely important. Um, I think that, you know, most people, as they continue on their career, they, you know, positions can sometimes be a dime a dozen. They can come along and come and go. Um, but they don't always include power. And I think that power affords this kind of real chance to create something new, to affect change, and really challenge systems that aren't working and to actually be truly heard while you do it. So I very much am appreciative, but also just very thoughtful about how I utilize the power that I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to have at Twitter. Um, I, I really feel like a leader that is heard, who's able to challenge and create in a way that is something that's supported, which I know is not always the case specifically for some of us that are kind of, like you said, one of the onlys. Um, I'm not at Twitter, but, you know, in this industry, absolutely. So I think that that's important. And I think about the word pressure, too. I I don't know that I, I know it is, it can get overwhelming, but I don't know that I would call it pressure as much as I would call it maybe an expectation or a commitment. So I think sometimes I get overwhelmed because just I, there's so much I want to do and get done, you know, for the communities that I serve. But the way that I kind of balance myself and and stay that way is that I just have to know that every single day I am working towards what I promised, right? Every day. Um, And that my, my mission, my overall mission, my integrity, it stays intact every step of the way. And that I know I'm not letting up anytime soon. And I try and live that externally and, and internally so that I can say, look, I am continuing on this road. I know that it's important to me. There has been nothing that has, you know, taken me off course, whether it be your own ego or just kind of getting lazy. I know that I must continue in this mission. Um, And so that's kind of the responsibility that I feel being in these spaces that I have to continue to do this work to make things better and that I have to hold the door open for other people to do this work with me as well. Let's talk about the work, right? So 
your Twitter's first ever global director of culture and community. And let me just tell you, when I heard the title, <laughs> I said, hey, yo. <laughs> I was trying to do big things. I'm trying to do big I things. I said, yo, wait a second. I said, I was like, I mean, I don't know. It just, it's, that sounds like a big title with a big, big, <laughs> big bag. I was like, man, I mean, I was praising the poor. I was over here. Bless That's when the blessings come in. Blessings come in. I was like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank no, you. No, no, let's let's talk about what this means and um, mm. what your responsibility is and what your team's responsibility is. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, I, I will have to say, like I uh, said before, giving some credit to Twitter, well, the credit to Twitter for noticing that this was something that was a gap for them and that they wanted to fill. I, I would like to just maybe talk a little bit about how I got this job at Twitter. It wasn't the traditional um, kind of application way, I guess I'll say, um, because I think that is how I got the job also speaks to literally the work that I'm doing now. Um, and so just as we mentioned before, my work in social strategy, I had really started to try and find examples of how I could explain and display communities that were shifting culture, that were forming together across social platforms, and then how those kind of phenomenons could be completely missed, uh, you know, at agencies or with huge brands and how these things were formulating and happening. But because there was almost this cultural blind spot, nobody even knew what was going on. And one of the communities that I was particularly fascinated by was Black Twitter. Um, I think that to me, it was just such an incredible just example of how a historically marginalized community kind of uses their own cultural and shared experience to come together through technology and then literally shift culture, uh, shift the narrative in a way that's very democratized, which is kind of what Twitter offers with this kind of space. And so I had started uh, just a, a small presentation about that in the ad world, and it kind of made its rounds. I had done it at a couple of conferences, and I had also made sure that I formed a pretty decent relationship with Twitter comms. I didn't want to get no C&D. <laughs> like, who, who this girl thinks she is out here? Talking about it? You know, and I wanted to make sure, you know, I didn't know if they had something. I didn't want to step on any toes, and, and we developed a, a really nice working relationship um and you know from there they had uh started thinking about their first kind of all hands on deck all employee um conference which is called one team the first one they did was in 2018 and they actually invited me to speak about black twitter and do my presentation at their conference and i was like wow you want me to do it okay um and so when i went i said you know i kind of was like well normally i do this presentation for the ad world and at the end of my presentation i say and these are the people you need to be hiring these are the people you need to be partnering with do not miss groups like this and this is just one example of so many groups you know that we need to be making sure that we better pay attention to but i at twitter you know i said well i, I want to kind of challenge them a little differently and and my challenge at the end of that presentation was how is twitter better connecting with the voices from these groups you know do they have plans for a cultural department or something that focuses on these communities in this way um and, and lo and behold <laughs> um, yeah you know so after getting off stage i was just so um again just incredibly blessed to be approached by some of the leadership there shout out to jack leslie berlin lara cohen nola weinstein um who who really set things in motion uh 
for for me to come to the company. They just felt like this clicks, you get it, you get us, and this is absolutely something that we need to focus on. So again, I think just that acknowledgement of the importance of understanding these communities, the fact that it birthed literally this work and this role and this practice now, my team at Twitter, it's just something I'm proud of. And I think the community should be proud of as well, because, you know, I am not talking about myself in that presentation. I'm talking about these collective voices who have literally shifted history um, and brought joy and accountability in ways that are just incredible. So I think that's part, kind of part of the story I think is important to put in context. Not everyone um, knows that story. I think it's important. But, you know, Thinking through my own challenge now, I didn't realize at the time I was challenging myself, but I came into <laughs> it was very meta if you think about it, but I came in to solve that problem and kind of figure out what that looks like. So my team specifically uh, focuses on building kind of these real world relationships with the voices from these marginalized communities who are active and who love and are loud on Twitter. So I wanted a team, you know, who really could help to continue to recognize the incredible power um, of these voices. Like I talked about before, they they drive conversation and they really shape culture on Twitter. Um, the other piece of that is that as we look at how they use the platform, how they use our service, and what they speak about, we have consistent learnings and insights. So what my team does is really kind of help our partners across the business understand how these communities both embrace and experience our service, good, bad, and ugly. By doing that, what we really hope to do is kind of build a bridge between the service of Twitter and the people that it serves. And that's something I think was really important to me, um, that we started to become this sort of connective tissue. And and the goal in that is to really help empower Twitter to build the best product, but the pro- the best product that reflects the richness of the people who use it. <laughs> and so we can you know start to evolve how we amplify the conversations that are most important to these groups. So just really making sure that these people's experience, their conversations, what's happening, how they use it, um, use Twitter, that it's on the map, that it's a part of how we think about building our product, that it's a part of how we think about our marketing, that it's it's embedded in every piece and fabric across our organization i hope that makes sense <laughs> it makes it, it makes it does make sense um in fact let me go ahead and just drop this real quick quick flex bomb just, uh, that's that's how i felt as you were saying oh yeah no, we, we got that too. no we got that too Hey. Sure. hey, so <laughs> no, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. What I love about the work that you're doing, what you're highlighting is the meta narrative of black influence, like just in culture, period, right? Like before Twitter, we was already like shaking the globe. We've like we've influenced art, fashion, language, dance. Yep. Um, we've been about that life. About yep. it. And so it, we just so happen to be on this play. Anything that we. Um, anything that we jump on, like we make it better. You know what I mean? Right. And so, right. Uh, and so when I think about like black Twitter and I think about, you know, you're, you're absolutely right that like, there's something about this community that is able to hop on like a platform and then suddenly like change narratives or like shift attention. And, right. uh, and Twitter is a phenomenal tool for that. I think it's like, it, it's going to go down. This is not an ad for Twitter. Like, it's just the truth. Like, and you think about <laughs> <laughs> but like when you when you look back and like let's say like so my daughter is five weeks old when like oh congrats thank you very much yeah um she's adorable um but I and Aww. I think and like the more that she think as I've just kind of come to the reality of her being here like I think about the things that she's gonna learn in school 
And mm. I think about like, man, like she's probably going to like when they study like technology that right. influenced uh, generations or um, just different seasons of life or activism or whatever the case is. Twitter is going to be one of the technologies that they talk right. about um, because it is one of the first time that we've seen like large scale uh, democratization of access and data and information and conversation and um, and just general communication like across and like for for free like relatively for free right you have to have Wi-Fi right. and stuff but there's no direct cost to get on Twitter like you just jump right. on it and so you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you see people today create a sense of community on Twitter like what does that look like from your perspective yeah, you know, and I mean, that's what's just been so fascinating. I, I share that kind of sentiment with you. And sometimes it's it's almost just incredible to think about when we're kind of heads down in the office working. We're like, oh, my God, like, you know, this is going to be in the history books, like the work that we're doing right now, just because of where we are and what we're focused on will will be in history. I used to always say I have an eight year old daughter, but I uh, I always think about I just want to be in her history book for doing something that yeah. mattered, you yeah, know, like yeah. and, and I think that, you know, the work that we can do here, it can be that important and impactful and, and it keeps me grounded and it keeps me humble and it keeps me fighting even on days that are frustrating. And so I think also the thing that I'd love to see is how people create community on Twitter. Um, I love that you said that one of our tenets uh, is always to keep the platform free so that there can be that access for people to have these kind of conversations in this public discourse. And so we kind of see people create community on our platform. There are kind of a couple of different lenses. So, you know, there's obviously some interest-based communities where, you know, NBA Twitter is definitely out here. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot going on every Sunday now with this Jordan doc and yes. um, you kind of see that happen, but that's a hugely active community. Um, and that's around a, a shared passion, an interest, right? And then the we homecoming have, Twitter. Remember from when yes, that was a yes. Baychella Twitter. Twitter, (laughs) Yeah, you know, so we see that we even see things that people may not even realize, like plant Twitter is huge, like people share all types of, you know, just tips and tricks and beautiful photos of of plants and flowers and uh, so forth in their homes and, and gardens. And then we see, you know, there's obviously some professions that come. Academic Twitter is huge. I've learned a lot just about um, education, Twitter, uh, finance. And then there's also locations, of course. And then, of course, we get into kind of those affinities and the allyship and the movements. And those are the Black right. Lives Matter and Me Too. And we see a, a huge coalescence around those kind of moments. Um And then, of course, you know, kind of where we get into my work is around those identity-based communities. Um, And that's when we think about Black Twitter, Native Twitter, um, you know, differently abled Twitter, and, you know, Latinx. Yeah, you know, and Latinx, LGBTQ+, you know, Twitter, just, and there's, you know, tons of intersections and and sub-communities within there. And I think that is what's so fascinating is that, you know, just thinking about even just those groups that I just named, um, they, they don't have equal footing, you know, even of each other uh, in society to be able to tell their stories and their voices. But on but on Twitter, you know, that that is democratized. It, it is somewhat of an equal playing field when it mm-hmm. comes to people being able to share what matters to them or their experiences. So that's kind of exactly where my team focuses. I focus the most on those. Um, I am here to serve specifically those identity based communities. And, you know, again, this is not something that's no one takes 
a box, obviously, and says what they are or what community they ascribe to when they sign up for Twitter. But through inferences and understanding that there is an allyship or an, an affinity there or an identity through conversation is what's really important to us. And so that's why I dig into how these communities have kind of leveraged Twitter in unique ways. And what we're seeing is kind of people who have shared experiences or shared kind of um, identities, uh, we're seeing them kind of just corral around subjects in different ways. And I think it's great that we're able to see even people shape uh, when they're challenging discourse, you know, mainstream media may report on something this I don't know, something as simple as like gentrification, right? Where it's an article and it's about, oh, look at the new grocery store that's in Brooklyn. And it's a great, right? It is nice that there's a new grocery store in Brooklyn. But then we're able to also see, did that displace people who lived there for 30 years? You know, is it is it construction in a playground area or something? And so I think it allows people to have this kind of 360 degree conversation that they've been craving, but was only kind of relegated to the way that these groups could physically meet up in spaces and physical spaces. And now we're seeing that kind of much more decentralized. Goddess, it's almost as if you, you know, you talk to people all the time. Because you helped me, <laughs> you helped me segue really well into my next question. Because because we, and I talked about it at the top, um, I'm talking about it again. So the Rona, or as the uh, Rona, the Rona, or as some folks say, that Rona, that uh, Rona is actively outside, mm-hmm. and um, it's and, and finding meaningful connection um, is more important now than ever. What are trends you see happening in digital community building over the next year or so? Wow. You know, I mean, this is, I'm so tired of people saying unprecedented, like, Lord, we need another word, right? Um, (laughs) Like what is another word we could use? But I think, you know, it's been so interesting. I, again, as a strategist, the, the study of human behavior, and I often even think about the work that I do is more of almost a digital anthropology Um, Because you get to watch how behavior shifts um, around different ideas, different events, and of course, different, um, just huge, uh, I guess, news uh, stories or health uh, crises that are affecting us like the Rona. So I think one of the things that I've really seen is that I think that we're going to continue to see people really trying to create space and find opportunity for these really important inter-community discussions around mental well-being and wholeness. I've seen a lot of discussions between several communities about the idea of that this is the first time many people have had in most working lives to slow down. Um, and so they're able to kind of foster these deeper connections through technology. Um, you know, we are looking at a lot of screens now, but we're trying to make the most of it and really focus on that wellness. Um, and so now that we have that chance to kind of slow down, it, it's helping more of us stay balanced and more empathetic, more connected. I hope that we see kind of well, how important taking a moment is um, and that that continues. The other thing I think, um, oh boy, Rona, Rona didn't. It didn't start a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> but or I exposed think, a lot of things too. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, exposed. Um, I think in, in terms of technology too, I think that this will continue. I mean, we've already seen just the type of connective creativity that's come out of people just being in the house, right? People just being relegated to having the shelter in place. And so I think that we'll see more of this kind of agile, nimble creativity and then also amplifying and uplifting those people who are leaning into that. So I think we were kind of in this space before where we were sort of fortunate. We we never had to really think about being with, immediately without certain spoils of society. 
And now we kind of all know that that can shift drastically in, in a right. nanosecond um, and that it also can be out of our control, too. So I think that, you know, industries, companies, brands, governments and individuals will really start to think about how they can better stay agile and, and quickly adapt for moments like this um, since it's it's just in our psyche now and it's not leaving. So I think thinking through what are the tools, you know, even myself, I'm sitting here right now, I got my microphone, I got my speakers, right. I ordered a new desk, you know what I mean? Right. Like how how much did people, and I'm, I'm fortunate to even be able to do that, but I think people are really thinking through however best in their capability, how can they be sure that they're able to stay connected and, and be creative and pursue sue um during times that are just uncertain i mean you know as we think about to your point around like like privilege and i, I i'm in the same position as well like my job allows me to work remotely i'm on paternity right. leave when i come back like there's gonna be like a phased return and then like you know like i'm i'm in a position where i'm being handled relatively gingerly because of just the benefits that my job provides like absent right. of uh this pandemic um but that are particularly beneficial and helpful to me right now um, I think about, though, the folks who don't have the same amount of access I do, right, who look like us. And I'm, I'm curious about, you know, can we think about technology and marginalized communities having a more mutually beneficial relationship? And in what ways do you think um, we can help drive more access and accessibility for these communities so that they can actually be on platforms where they can be heard? Right. Um, I mean, that's, I think about it too. You know, I, I saw an article recently about it, some people having literally like class guilt, you know, almost over the shelter in place because it just affects so many of us differently. I myself as well can work from remotely um, where so many people can't. So many of the frontline workers, essential workers who have to go out and make sure that we can continue to live even at the risk of their own health and the health of their families. I do think, you know, again, just going back to that love of strategy, like the first thing I always do and I always say should be done is listening. I think that so many people jump into trying to figure out what to do before they actually listen to what people need. And that's why I'm really proud of kind of the structure and program that we've built at Twitter, which is the Twitter Voices program, which my team uh, created and runs. And that's kind of just literally a program that allows us to try and identify some of these powerful voices coming out of these communities and then set up a sustained kind of relationship with them. How do we check in on them? How do we even have a quick meeting or a lunch, now a virtual lunch? Um, but creating that kind of ongoing dialogue between the people who need to be heard so that we are aware of what can be done. And I think that's really important to do because I think that it's important for us to listen to people who need to be heard and then that they can not only get the help they, they receive, but also hold us accountable as well. But I think that what's important is that we continue to give these people kind of a microphone and a podium. You know, we need to make sure that they're not being ignored, uh, especially during a time like, like now. You know, I think that I think back, uh, you know, maybe the early 90s. Let's just say this pandemic it was 1992 or something. Okay. You know, people who were most affected, the people who are not getting those loans to the PPP, the people who are being forced to go back to work or grapple with losing unemployment, even if they feel it's unsafe, we would have no mechanism to really hear them writ large. You know, we would have right. no mechanism to hear them, you know, uh, their, their conversations and how they're affected across the country, across the world. And so I think now it's important for technology to make sure that we continue to provide that space, provide that microphone, provide that podium so that these people can be heard and for people 
people like myself who work in these groups, we need to continue to focus on continuing this momentum of amplifying those conversations, helping to spread awareness on why it's important to listen to these groups. And that will enable us to build better products, you know, create better systems, and honestly, overall, a better society that should be inclusive to all. And it also allows us to tear down what's not working. And I think that maybe if there is any small silver lining to what's happening is we're seeing so many systems just almost buckle because they were not built to truly serve everyone. And and that's something I think that while that's happening, we need to be sure that we're in partnership, we're listening to, and we're rallying behind the people that need us the most. Goddess, this has been an incredible conversation. Oh, um, thanks. It was no, great. No, this is super dope. And before we let you go, I just want to give you space. Where can people find you? Where can people Man. connect with you at? And then any parting words or shout outs? Oh, wow. Um, so thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. This is a nice just uh, break from the Rona <laughs> to get to rap with you. So thank you again. Everybody can find me on Twitter, of course. I'm at God is Rivera, G-O-D-I-S-R-I-V-E-R-A. Um, I am terrible at email, so I won't even do that to y'all. <laughs> but if you hit me on Twitter, I promise I'll hit you back. Also, don't be afraid to slide in the DMs. Um, and then lastly, she just, does respond too, like not to cut you off. I do. Like, See? So, so y'all like months ago i want i tried to get goddess on the pod and i think she was pretty new to the role actually so i didn't care because i was just like yo this is crazy <laughs> so i, I saw in the dms and then she hit me back and then like uh we weren't able to make it work and i was like dang okay i felt like she curved me and so i said dang okay. no so then i dm'd you and i said i said hey you know i'm sad that we weren't able to make it work but hopefully we can stay in touch and she hit me back y'all just said yep sure will and i said oh my gosh okay and so then and now here we are so look y'all this is not a, a, like this, like because some of y'all are church or spiritual. This is not a message to y'all to keep on. The DMs are fine. She's just not going to respond. So this is not me encouraging you to pester people. This is just me saying that goddess responds to DMs. All right, my bad. Please continue. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Because I know I, I you probably cannot get me really any other way. That's Twitter is just where I'm at. Um, this is even before I worked there. So it is very true. Um, and also, I think, you know, just one more shout out to my team at Twitter. I wouldn't be able to delve into this work this way if it wasn't for the support and the consistent support um, that I get there from leadership all the way down to my team. Shout out to Culture and Community. Love you guys. Um, Nola, an incredible leader. Leslie Berlin, Jack Dorsey. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible culture that allows us to be able to dig in and, and really do what we can to try and make a difference in the world, even if it means we make mistakes along the way. Um, it's 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 a really great supportive environment and I'm, and I'm grateful for it and just also shout out to the home team at home my husband Jay my daughter Jordan my mom my aunt that's my home team that allows me to to do this work the way that I do and and try and serve as many people as I can so and I hope everybody out there stays safe thank you to all the frontline workers the healthcare workers thank you guys so much for doing what you can for us um, I hope to hold you guys down as much as you are holding us down wow Um, y'all, this has been uh, Living Corporate. Look, you know what we do, right? 200 plus episodes in, we're having conversations with uh, executives, entrepreneurs, uh, thought leaders, professors, activists, public servants, elected officials, all about what? Real talk in the corporate world. We center and amplify marginalized voices, underrepresented, underestimated, um, unaccounted voices in the workplace. And we do this for you every single week. Make sure you check us out. Just Google us, okay? We all over Barack Obama's internet, right? You just Google living corporate, okay? So it's living corporate, not corporate living. Corporate living is 
the inverse of what I said. So you want to do live in corporate. And, you know, if you if you're like old school and you got to type it in the bar, you can do www.living-corporate. Please say the dash dot com. You do livingcorporate.co, livingcorporate.org, livingcorporate.tv, livingcorporate.net, livingcorporate.us. We have all the living corporates got us. We just don't have livingcorporate.com. <laughs> Australia owns livingcorporate.com. It's something. Dang it. <laughs> I know, right? But one day. One day the brand will be brolic enough that we will actually go and get livingcorporate.com. I'm just going to speak that. Yes, manifest it. I will manifest it. But but today, uh, the vibrations and chakras are just not there. <laughs> so um, so so look, y'all. Make sure you check us out. Uh, shout out to Goddess. Shout out to uh, Twitter. Uh, shout out to um, hey. shout out to your team. And then let's make sure that y'all check out all the links in the show notes. Y'all check out Goddess. Please do not bombard her with DMs, okay? I can't imagine what her DMs look like. But she has offered. She has let you know that that's the way to reach her. But I'm just asking as a courtesy. Just think about what it is you have to say. Maybe share it with me. You know, maybe write it down. You know, then send it. You know, just <laughs> just just help her help you help us. You know what I mean? Please. please. <laughs> yes, because I can't imagine the type, the nonsense you get in there. Anyway, all right, y'all. Till next time. <laughs> this has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.